welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, James takes another hiatus from our series to consider a fictional tale of two men going to Jerusalem for Passover, the day Christ gave up his spirit. James determined it might be helpful to those who are young in the faith, but should never be done for a sermon. Please note these first messages are meant to be mostly instructive. You can click on the link in the description to visit us on YouTube. We pray this message serves to edify the church. All right, so today we are going to take, I believe, one last hiatus. I just think it's, you know, I think it's important. Last week um, we did consider the cross and some of the theological parameters that have to do with the atonement. However, um, let me just say, I, I, I don't, I quite, I didn't quite love the second message. Uh, it was somewhat distracted. I'm full of excuses, but uh, it's my determination, though, not to try to redo that. So that's not what we're going to do. We're going to take a piece of that. Part of what I was tr- starting to tell you is whenever I look at these accounts, many of these historical accounts, my imagination goes. You know, my imagination is stirred up, and I began discussing. One of my imaginations in regards to the cross it are, is involves two men, two men. And I, and I just kind of want to go down that road. I don't know how often we're going to do this. To be honest with you, I'm fairly reluctant to give my own imaginative scenarios that may or may not have happened, you know, so it's obviously apocryphal, you know, it's not found in the Bible. But I think this affords us a certain, a certain degree of perspectives of two different men, two different people coming to the cross and coming away from it in two different ways. And I think this can just help illustrate the differences between the, the regenerated and the unregenerate, the fallen and condemned men and women. So the way I see this happening is basically two young Jewish men. I've named them Joseph and Jacob for now, just to make it easier for the storyline. And they're both coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. The Passover is a huge deal. You would have Passovers in your home cities, but, you know, everybody would want to take at least one, one excursion to Jerusalem. And one of the best times to do that would be for the Passover. Since we considered the Passover in the book of Leviticus somewhat, then we know the great degree of, of respect that it that you know the Jews really considered it. Uh, you know they held it in very high regard. Really, the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, but really nothing really superseded the Passover. And still to this day, the Jews uh, still celebrate Yom Kippur. And so these two young men are traveling. From some distant land, they don't quite get there on Friday. They get close enough on Thursday to get there on Friday morning-ish. Now, in the book of Mark, it says that they took Jesus out to be crucified really at at the third hour, which is 9 o'clock in the morning. And we, we just have to realize that he was put on the cross technically for a total of six hours before he yielded up his spirit. Okay, and, and we'll make kind of something of a point with that, but, but, it's, but it's clear within the Gospels that they don't say necessarily, well, technically anyway, Jesus died. Jesus gave up his spirit. Now, in the other epistles, it makes clear, you know, he had died, and we'll consider that somewhat briefly in our next message. However, these two men, Joseph and Jacob, are coming to 
the Passover, okay? And as they arrive, as we briefly kind of mentioned last week, they see three men on a cross, and this would stir up different kind of emotions. And depending on the men, these are young men, all right? Let's say these are, these are young men, somewhere in their young 20s, okay? And they're friends, they're good friends, and so they want to go to the Passover together. This is a huge deal for them. You know, they're, they're devout Jews, and they're going to Jerusalem, and they see these three men hanging on the cross. Now, we, we did discuss how the Jews and how other people would consider crucifixion. It's a terrible form of execution. Terrible, inhumane, and so forth. However, they also recognize that in Deuteronomy, it does say, you know, basically, if somebody does commit a sin deserving of death and you hang them on a tree, remember, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So part of Judaism does teach that if you do something deserving of being hanged on a tree, you're rightfully, justly cursed. Okay, so they have these mixed emotions. Really wish the Romans wouldn't do this. But at the same time, it is somewhat just, and it does show everybody, show everybody that truly cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So before they, you know, they just see the three men in the distance, okay, Joseph and Jacob, and they're t discussing this amongst themselves. And then as they get closer, they see the one in the middle with this title which was an accusation. Remember, when we made the point, they would do that on occasion. And his accusation says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Not what the chief priest wanted Pilate to say, that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. No, the inscription was, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, Jesus's ministry was very well known very popular, okay? And remember, it started, it stemmed from the preaching and the prophet, prophetic ministry of John the Baptist, whom everybody had considered to be a prophet. Even, even some of the scribes and the Pharisees, they're very reluctant to suggest that he wasn't a prophet, John the Baptist. So, these men know about Jesus. Let's just kind of imagine that they never heard him speak and he never, they never saw the works that he did, but there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people. We talked about the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. That would be at least 20,000 people. So the word's gotten around about this Jesus who's going around preaching about the kingdom of God, which was what John the Baptist was preaching. Okay? Now, they had their own idea of the Messiah. Remember, they had their own idea of the Messiah. And even John the Baptist himself, when he's in prison, sends out his, his disciples, his friends, to Jesus to ask him, Are you the one to come, or should we look for another? They all anticipate a reigning, an eternally reigning Messiah to come, conquer their enemies, completely conquer their enemies, and live and reign forever in Israel, in the nation, in the, in the landscape of uh, the east of the Mediterranean Sea. So this is a disillusion, disillusionment of sorts. First of all, they, 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 come to this, they come to his cross, they see, this, they see the sign says, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, and they're incensed by this. First, they, see, they know that the Romans are, are making fun of us, they're demeaning us, this was done on purpose, so one, Frustration is with the Romans, but the real frustration is with this Jesus. Who are you claiming to be a king? 
You deserve to be hanged on this tree for this utter form of blasphemy. Remember, that's what the chief priest, that's what the high priest even said. What well, more do we need here? We, you, hear, you heard the blasphemy yourself. He deserves to die. It, blasphemy would de deserve the death penalty, okay? But again, they just assumed that he was blaspheming. So they come, to, they come to, to this place, and they see this sign, they see this Jesus, and they are incensed at Jesus because, because they see him as rebelling against all of Judaism and really bringing many of the Jews to away from Judaism. Let me put it that way. Many messiahs, we've also talked about many people came and claimed to be messiahs. And they tried to begin these revolutions, these violent insurrections. Jesus came very peacefully. Okay? But they see this man, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, dying. Dying. Wounds open and bare. Remember in Psalm 22, it says, I can count all my bones. Again, that's a bit of hyperbole, but he could, you could literally, especially on his back, and they would sometimes flog on the front. You could see that much. Very graphic. Very graphic. And again, Jesus took more of the flogging and more of these, this, this corporal punishment than many, if not most, if not all, people who were crucified. Okay, so they see him mangled up there. And... They don't, they are incensed, they hate Jesus. They both hate Jesus at this point. We all come to the cross. And we all have an allergy against Jesus Christ before he comes to us. Before he gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. So they both come to the cross the same way. The same way, in utter disgust in utter insolence, in utter, utter frustration, in utter anger, okay? And then, in Matthew 27, 39, it says, And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you were the Son of God, come down from the cross. So I see these two men joining with them. Again, they're walking by, but something stops them. That something stops them. Seeing this, ki this supposed king, this imposer, seeing this imposter with this sign, they start blaspheming him too. Hey, if you're the son of God, you went around saying you're the son of God. You healed the blind. You say you, say you healed the deaf. You raised people from the dead and so forth. Well, where's all that? Where's all that king of kings? Where's all that son of God? If you, you can save others, remember the chief priests, you know, partnered with them in, in this blasphemy. And so they're just belittling him. You, you know, you saved others, yet you yourself, you cannot save. And now when the chief priests start to blaspheme, blaspheme him as well, that kind of just reassures their frustration. These are the leaders of the day. These are their religious leaders. They're going to listen to them more than they're going to listen to their own conscience at this point because they're blind. They're blind. They're in the darkness and they are somewhat comfortable in the darkness. That's what they've known. This is what they've known their entire life. And so they start to curse him as well. 
okay, along with the chief priests, everybody who's, everybody who's surrounding there, except for, you know, the women who were there, and seemingly it seems like John the disciple, John, uh, uh, John the apostle. So, then, once, nine, once noon comes, everything gets dark. The sun is obscured. That's what it says. So if it's an eclipse or what it is, it gets dark at high noon. They both continue cursing him. However, Joseph, Joseph sees something about this darkness. It's starting to move him. He remembers the firstborn in Egypt when there were days of darkness. It wasn't just one evening and one time. For days there was darkness before the destruction of the firstborn, before the Passover. And so he sees a parallelism of sorts. Here it is. Passover's the next day. Today's the preparation day. You know, Passover's the next day, the Sabbath day. And here, just like in Egypt, the land is dark. The land is absolutely dark. Joseph continues blaspheming. But in his heart, he sees. He's starting to see. Okay, again, this is all imaginative, but this is what happens to men and women now. That's the point. That's the point. So, after that, in Luke, Luke uh, chapter 23, verse 39 through uh, 43, which we considered last week, so I want to use this as another illustration. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you were the Christ, save yourself and us. The, again, both of the thieves were cursing him and, and, and demeaning him and mocking him and so forth. But this one, who is still mocking him, this is the heart of the unregenerate. Save yourself and us. This is the way I expect it. Come down from the cross and save me. Show yourself now. You showed yourself raised thousands of years ago. You did all these miracles. Let me see them now. I need some, I need some proof. I need some tangible proof. I don't care about eyewitness testimony. I don't care about the, the historicity and the, how you test history and so forth. No, no, no. I want to see it with my own eyes. I want to feel him. I want to touch him. So this one, though he's mocking, he's saying basically, save us the way I expect you to save us. Come down from that hideous cross where if you were the son of God, you would not be. Right? This is no place for the son of God. So if you are, save yourself. That makes sense. And then save us. The thief sees in the darkness his own darkness. He was mocking. I conjecture, I surmise that it was the darkness that started turning him. He noticed the darkness in himself. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that, but it doesn't say any what the reason was. So we're left with conjecture. But it seems to make sense to me. But once the darkness fell, the darkness, he started to see, the darkness started to rise in himself to the extent 
to which he could see it. He could see it. And just that, just noticing his own darkness, shows him the light of this man, of this Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, and he starts to see it all make sense. Again, this is the real Paschal Lamb. This is what this whole Passover thing was, was pointing toward. And we've known that as Jews. We've all known that. Still, today, when they celebrate Yom Kippur, they leave the seat open at the head of the table for Elijah. They're waiting for Elijah. So they still do that now. They're still waiting for the Messiah. This thief notices this is him. We never would have imagined this is the way the Messiah is going to come and conquer. But this is him. This is him. I remember Isaiah. I remember my scripture somewhat, even though I'm a thief and totally rebelled against it and so forth. But now, he had, he truly has a heart of repentance, not forced upon him. Nobody's preaching to him. He doesn't have his Bible open before him. He has no access to the Gospels. He doesn't know anything about justification by faith. He doesn't know anything about soteriology. He doesn't have the epistles. He doesn't have the book of Revelation. He has the Old Testament in his heart and in his mind. And just that, once the darkness falls, he sees the light of Christ. And he says, he rebuked the other man. And he says, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? You are under the same condemnation. Notice that this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, is going through the same thing you are. And we indeed justly, we indeed go through this justly. We indeed justly go through death. The wages of sin is death. It was the first warning, the first promise of God in the garden. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now death is a reality of this world. But he, this thief is telling the other thief, we all go through this. We all must go through this. I'm starting to realize why he must go through this. He shouldn't. It's completely unjust. He should have nothing to do with this cross. He belongs on a throne, an eternal throne. So, fellow partner, we're here for a reason. We're all here for a reason. He's here for a greater reason much greater reason yeah we are here justly and according to the world he is not here justly he's here to justify it was completely unjust that he was on the cross so we receive the due reward for our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong then he turned to jesus and said lord remember me when you come into your kingdom and we discussed that and jesus said to him Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I think this is where Joseph's eyes were opened as well. It wasn't the chief priest that came to faith. It wasn't the leaders. It wasn't the other ones who were blaspheming him. 
is this thief on the cross. The one who can see his darkness the, the most. It's typically the one who is so deep in sin. When he comes to Christ, he can see the salvation of Christ, the light of Christ, all the more. And so Joseph sees this thief who he had determined deserves this, and he still see, and the man acknowledged, the thief acknowledges, he deserves this. He is there justly. He is there justly. And Joseph doesn't disagree with that. However, he starts to recognize that this other one, this one in the middle with this sign, is not here justly. This is not according to our law. This is not according to my Jewish perspective even. You know, I really adore and I respect and I listen and I follow these rabbis and these chief priests and so forth. But I've noticed that they've gotten things wrong and they, they argue amongst themselves all the time about very critical theological issues, such as the resurrection. We remember the Sadducees don't believe in it and all the rest. So it's not a chief priest, not an elder. It's not Billy Graham, you know? It's not some great preacher who's going around preaching the word of God. It's this thief. It's this thief in the middle of the darkness. In the middle of the darkness. While, everybody, while everyone else is crying out, shouting out mockery and blasphemy. He sees this thief. This thief deserving of death. Ask the one not deserving of death who is there on his own. He has the power to lay it down and he has the power to take it up again. This man doesn't know that, but he knows he's there for a different reason. Not because he was blaspheming that he is the king of the Jews, but because he is the king of the Jews. And he starts thinking back to his scripture. Remember, especially then, parchments were very expensive. You would memorize most, if not all of the Bible, and these are devout Jews going to Jerusalem for Passover. So he remembers. He remembers Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, the Psalms of David, talking about the suffering servant, and so forth. So he starts to wake up even more. The darkness fell, and now in the darkness, he sees this man of darkness asking this other man, to remember him. And the man in the middle doesn't say, hey man, don't you see? That's not exactly what's going down. I failed in my mission. I failed. So everything that they're cursing me with is absolutely right. That's not what he says. He says assuredly, truly, truly, write this down. This is absolutely fact. This is eternal fact. This is an, an opinion. This isn't conjecture. This is a fact. Truly, truly, today you will be with me in paradise. And I think Joseph started to see the darkness in himself and what that darkness symbolized. You know, it's easy to see the darkness in that Exodus account as a judgment against the Egyptians. You know, the Israelites were in their camp and they didn't have to suffer the darkness. You know? But 
is to signify the darkness in all of us. So he starts to think, he starts to think back on all these different, different scriptural, these different scriptures talking about the Messiah to come. And he realizes, you know, yeah, it does speak of a conquering Messiah. It also speaks of a suffering Messiah. It talks about, you know, Isaiah talked about, he's like a lamb to the slaughter, coming to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He's still on the cross not saying anything, except, assuredly, today you will be with me in paradise. So I think that's where it really began. In Mark, chapter 15, verse 34, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we know that's in the beginning of Psalm 22, speaking about the suffering servant. So my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the rest of verse 1 and the verse 2 is, why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. So when it was light, you do not hear in the night season and am not silent, even in the darkness, even in the darkness. Why, why have you forsaken me? And we talked about why he had to forsake him. God will not have any sin before him. It was the true Christ. Christ bore all the wrath of God for his people. For his people. But this man, Joseph, hears that and he remembers the rest of the song. And he sees in that out of this cry, out of this cry from this man, with the king of the Jews right above his head, he realizes this is the son of David. This is the son of God. Far from what we expected, and I don't know what this means, but I know my paradigm has been completely wrong, and I'm ready to follow this. I'm ready to see where this goes. I'm ready to see where this leads. I'm intrigued at this point. This is very interesting. Just like the thief saw all the parallels from the Old Testament, he begins to see intellectually. Intellectually. And, it, and because it's intellectual, remember, can't get to the heart except through the mind. So his heart's starting to stir. But he doesn't like it. He doesn't, he doesn't want to believe in some suffering Messiah. He doesn't want to follow a dead king which we discussed last week. So he's waiting. Where is this going to go? In the following verse, right after he cried out, some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he is calling for Elijah. I just wanted to kind of harmonize the Gospels for you real quickly. So they say, look, because it sounded the same, right? It sounded the same. And then in John Chapter 19, 28, that's when it says, After this, Jesus, Jesus, knowing all things that were that were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, in that psalm, Psalm 22, verse 15, it says, My strength is dried up like a posture, and my tongue clings to my jaws. 
you have brought me to the dust of death. So Joshua remembers that. So it was really after Jesus says, I thirst, that these men, in order to save him, in order to prolong his life, to see if Elijah would come. So that's how they're harmonized. They say, look, he's calling for Elijah. He says, I thirst. And so somebody goes and fills a cup with sour wine and gives it to him. And right after he drinks that, the final drops of that cup of suffering, which he was praying to his father to let pass, he drank it to the last drop and then said, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what's in Luke. He gave up his spirit when it was time. That's the other thing I wanted to, to mention. Interestingly, Pilate was shocked when he heard that Jesus was already dead. Like we, like we had mentioned last week, crucifixion could actually last for days. For Jesus, it lasted about six hours. Because he endured that which he must endure, and it is finished. My, my mission is accomplished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, Joshua. Joshua is devastated at this point. That whole, you know, his whole hostility, his whole insolence and frustration with this man in the middle is utterly fallen. Is utterly fallen. He's heartstruck. He's broken. Everything he's ever believed has fallen. Has fallen. And he now sees. He now sees and he now hears. And now he's ready to see what else happens. But now he believes this one who has this king of the Jews who bled out and gave his spirit up on his own to the degree that they came to break the legs of everybody, to, of all the, all the people on the cross, all three of them, and they come to him and he's already dead. And then they, this, one of the soldiers takes a spear and thrusts it through and water and blood comes out. And we've talked about some of the significance regarding that. Sorry, this is going to have to be somewhat a contracted version, but I hope we see through this what the salvation of a man or a woman looks like. We are all fallen men and women. More deposed to the things of this world than the things of God. Until he wakes us up. Jacob continue mocking and he can he started mocking Joseph so what he says my, my God my God why have you forsaken me so what he's doing all this to fulfill the scriptures to make it look like he's the king of the Jews no matter what happens okay so he yielded up his spirit maybe he just held his breath maybe he just stopped trying to lift himself up so he can just die all sorts of rationale to disbelieve. 
The heart of the unregenerate remains unregenerate determinately. In other words, they refuse Christ because they hate Christ, not because they don't know, have enough information, not because they don't even see what the cross of Christ is supposed to symbolize. They're offended by the cross. Most men and women, especially unregenerate men and women, see no need for a savior. Again, especially in our day, justification is by death. Everybody's going to heaven. We see in this lifetime, we see within the world, this life is not all there is. It can't be. There's too, there are too many indications that that, is not, that that is not so. And yet, we stay comfortably fat and lazy, sleeping in our own darkness, determined to slumber on and pass by the cross as if it's nothing. Knowing each time we pass it by, it is not nothing. They pass by the cross because they hate the cross. And especially because they hate the man on the cross. Joseph hated him too. But God awakened him just like he awakens all of his people. They see the darkness falling. They see the darkness in themselves. And thereby, when you're absolutely in dark, that's when you see the light. The sun was obscured. When we are comfortable in our own darkness, the light is obscured. To us, it's just merely somewhat dark, not pitch black. Not pitch black. There's a degree in which we have this light since we have, we're blessed with the image of God. We're not utterly depraved. And so hopefully, God just overlooks everything. He just forgives me, just like we forgive everybody else, right? God, forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. So long as I just get over everybody else's trespasses, right? And I must be let in. Never considering the full weight of that presumption. Just resting on it. That's where Jacob was. That's where Jacob is. That's where every unregenerate man and woman, woman is. We come to Christ by the power of God. And that alone. Not because our intellect sees this darkness, sees this thief, hears this preacher. No, 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 no. These are means. These are means by which God uses to open your eyes and bring you to his light. Take you out of the darkness into his light. So that's when Jesus had received the sorrow wine, and he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Now again, he doesn't see the veil torn, but he feels the earth shake. Both of them knew. It should shake both of them to their core. The cross of Jesus Christ should shake all men and all women to their core. 
the rocks of their own hearts should split wide open, crushed under the weight of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Many are called, few are chosen. By the grace of God, those, those who he has called to glorify, he shows his light. You are not saved of yourself. You're only saved by God. Matthew 27:54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. Again, not the chief priests, not the Jews, the Jews who were mocking him and so forth, not, not them. These pagans, these men who have no idea about the Old Testament, have no idea about prophecies. They just have general revelation. They just have the things of this world to judge by. And just that, they know. Truly, amen. This man truly was the Son of God. And Joshua agrees with that as well. However, Joshua has a problem here. What is this? What kind of power does a dead Messiah have? What kind of king reigns when he's dead? That's not a thing. That's not a thing. Something he struggles with, and it's something we will recognize, God willing, in our next message all of the disciples wrestled with. Every single one of them. They were petrified. They were scared. They thought all hope had been lost. Our rabbi, our king, is dead. The good news of the gospel is the king has won. But after the cross, it's a time of mourning. Sending the messengers out, the king has fallen. Just like when the messengers came and brought news to David, to Saul and Jonathan and all of Saul's sons, except for one, were dead. This is terrible news, remember? And all the land wept and mourned. That's what's going on here. However, in the heart of this one, in the heart of the thief, they know this is the plan of God. And they know something's coming, they don't know what. They don't expect Jesus to rise on Sunday morning. None of the disciples do. The women don't. Joseph of Arimathea didn't. Nicodemus didn't. Nobody's expecting Jesus to raise from the tomb on the third day. None of them. They're all heartbroken. But one of them wants to follow it to the end. There's still some doubt in his mind. There's a little bit of doubt, and we'll get into that in our next message, but there's a little bit of doubt, which he needs to be mended. But two men, two different people in this world come to the cross, generally speaking, 
two different ways. Those who he calls to himself come to him in many different ways. But specifically, they are all by giving ears to hear and eyes to see. That's why I repeat it over and over and over again. So that you don't boast of yourself. On that day, you will have nothing for which to boast except for the name of Jesus Christ, Adonai. So, those who he has chosen to glorify come to him many different ways, but ultimately they are all coming from the darkness into the light. Those who remain unregenerate, those who choose to continue mocking Jesus because they hate him, have many different ways of hating him, have many different ways to deny him, go through intellectual hoops, crazy hysteria. They claim the Christian is hysterical. They are determined to hate him. They, again, fallen men and women make it seem like the Christian makes all these things up. You know, you're living in a fantasy world. Joseph, what are you doing? This is Jacob. Joseph, what are you doing? The Messiah can't be dead. How is he supposed to reign forever? Don't be a fool, J Joseph. Don't be a fool. He starts mocking him. Jacob is determined to hate him. He doesn't think about the suffering servant. Joshua start, or J Joseph starts telling him, well, don't you remember Psalm 22? Don't you remember Isaiah chapter 53? Again, they don't have chapters. But don't you remember these Psalms? Don't you remember these prophecies? And Jacob won't hear it. He has his own idea. This is what must happen because this is what we, dis we, this is what we expect. This is what all the chief priests have said. This is what the Pharisees have said. This is, where, this, is the, this is the hermeneutics of the day. Now, this Messiah will come. He will conquer our enemies. And he will rule forever here. Don't be a fool, Joseph, when Jacob is the fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That... That doesn't just mean the fool says in his heart there is no existence of God. The fool says in his heart the God who is, is not. That's the darkness. That is the darkness that Christ has lifted out of his people from himself. This is the preparation day just before the Passover, just before the day of rest for the Jews. And their Messiah gave himself up as the Paschal Lamb. Those who choose to hate him pass over the Paschal Lamb. It's the most tragic of ironies. It's the most tragic of ironies which God has given for his people, people use against God himself. I trust none of us are those fools. I hope and pray. I hope and pray. But if you may be 
still coming to Jerusalem. If you may be still blaspheming before the cross, if you are still mocking Jesus Christ, if you still have doubts aroused, don't hide away in the darkness. Seek the truth out. I do not compel you to be Christians because it sounds good. <laughs> you know, it's a better alternative than all the rest. My argument is Christian. It is well that we are Christians because Christianity is real. So, when you have these moments, when, if you're in this place, seek out the truth, the real truth. Don't be biased. If you choose to hate him and you continue to just want to mock him, you will find all the nonsense out there to make you fine with that. Ask the real questions. Ask the hard questions. Wrestle with God, just like Jacob. The original Jacob, real Jacob. <laughs> just like Jacob. God is pleased. God is pleased with honest questions with honest inquiry, not debased things that are accusatory. You know, like something, you know, it's really easy to make all of this sound like nonsense. You just replace some words and, and like, and this is an example, but one that I can think of anyway is, do you really believe in a Bible that talks about a talk, talking donkey? Because this story of Balaam, which we actually haven't considered. So they belittle that. Well, yes, because I believe in a God who can do anything with his creation. That's not all that insane. But they just tie it to these myths and fables because they want it to be a myth and a fable. No matter how historical it is, no, how many, no matter how many eyewitnesses, no, how many, no matter how much of the archaeological evidence which they say attests all these other things, but not to Jesus Christ, conveniently. Oh yes, there was a Caesar. Oh yeah, there were definitely was this Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Absolutely, we have enough to... The, history, the historicity of Jesus Christ is far more attested than any other ancient person or group. Those who deny this choose to deny it. That's the point. Two men, two people come before the cross. One is given eyes to see. The other chooses to remain in darkness. We do not choose salvation. We do not choose salvation. We do not choose to be saved. God has chosen us. The unregenerate men and men and women choose to hate him. Election is not by choice, not by our choice. Damnation is. Let us re remember that. Let us remember that. Our savior. Our savior the King of Kings and Lord of Lords gave up his life for the victory. However, this is half of the victory. Without the resurrection, there is no atonement. The cross is absolutely meaningless. We're all dead in our sins. We will consider that.
in our next message. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.